Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of RNP Season 2.5. I have a returning guest, Mr. Devin Majors himself. How are you doing tonight, Devin? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me back on your show. It's always, always a lot of fun being on your show. Thank you so much for coming. We had to set up a phone interview currently because I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, and Devin is in his home, a city, Nashville, Tennessee. So, and because of Corona and all of those things going on, we thought it would be best to go ahead and schedule a phone interview. And later on this evening, we will also be going live. So, first I want to say, what? congratulations on graduating. What is it like being an alumnus of the university? Well, it is, this last, I want to say, last couple of months have been so unexpected you think you're gonna graduate um go right to a job and right right to grad school but COVID hit um we ended um taking online classes for about um half a semester um we had a virtual graduation um now we're still trying to, i'm going into law school in the fall so i'm trying to figure out still how that's going to look like so it's a lot of a lot of zoom meetings a lot of phone calls and not really a lot of meeting in person so that's a lot it was it's really unexpected but I think that's one thing when people mention the class of 2020, that's going to be the main thing they mention is that this is the class that no matter what the world threw at them, they was able to still try to make a way out of it. Right. Exactly. So especially since you being affected by COVID and like you said, you just graduated, would you be a first generation graduate? Um, I would not be a first generation for a bachelor's degree, but as far as like a master's or um, law doctorate, anything of anything after bachelor's degree, I, I I would be considered a first uh, generation for that. All right, well, congratulations again on graduating. We are so proud of you. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Devin was actually elected at UT Martin to be the president of SGA two years in a row, two times. How does that make you feel as being a black man as a SGA president on a PWI, which stands for a predominantly white institution? How does that make you feel that not only did you get elected one year, you got elected two years? And I know that you probably had that vision a long time ago when I first interviewed you. So what is it like now going from being an advocate on the show about SGA and the issues that we face in African-American community and Martin, what is it like now to actually have served two full terms as SGA president? It just shows me that the sky is the limit. And when you put action behind your dreams and you organize and you get people around you that's like-minded, and you can achieve anything you want to do. Um, don't listen to anybody that tells you you can't do something because if I would have listened, there were, when I, when I mentioned the idea, y'all want to run for president of UT Martin, there were so many people who have been there way longer than I had that were telling me, I don't know a black person can win, you, know, you got to have a white person win, you might should run for something lesser. And if I would listen to those naysayers and those doubters, I would not have actually accomplished anything. And I think anybody can apply that advice to their life. There's always going to be people who don't see the dreams as you see. And you can't listen to them. You got to surround yourself with people who are going to uh, who are going to uh, boost you up and uh, give you that reassurance that you need in life. 
That is really a, a strong statement that you said because I do feel the exact same way. You most definitely have to protect your peace, protect your dreams. And something that I've had to learn along the way is that you cannot share your dreams with everyone. And I think that was something that you probably experienced, like you just said, when at first you were saying you wanted to do something that seemed impossible at the time. You know, people couldn't see as far as you could see. So being having that vision and staying on that path, you know, it is very inspiring. Did you did you ever figure out if you were the first black man to do that, or? I was actually the fifth uh, black SGA president. Oh wow! Um, the first one was in 1983, I believe. Uh, Reginald, Dr. Reginald Williams. Um, and then after him, um, I can't remember exactly, but there were there were about five, uh, five there were five total. But before um, I got in, there was a ten year gap mm-hmm. uh, of having a black SJ officer in general, um, especially our president. Wow! So being the fifth, that's that's not a lot because if I'm correct, you get elected every year, correct? Yep, and there's 70 uh, SGA presidents, uh, 70 SGA years, so I'm not sure how many people were two terms or not, but at least, I would say to be safe, I'll say there were at least 60 SGA presidents, and out of 60 of them, five were um, black. That's not a lot at all. That, that's not a lot because knowing what we know about UT Martin, it is a public university, which means they need a certain percentage of minority students to come to the school in order to get the extra money from the government. So with that being said, do you feel like it was a lot of pressure on you by being the fifth black SGA president at the school? It definitely was. Um, I want to say really from, from both sides, from black students and uh, non-black students and like faculty staff, because for the black students, they looked at you as a leader. They expected you when issues came up, they expected when they went to you, you were going to do something about it. And then on the other hand, for people who are non-black, who probably didn't understand you as well as the black students did, there was an expectation for you to, I don't know, I don't know what exactly they expected uh, from you. There was a lot of, I would say a lot of the black students were a lot um, more friendly and a lot more understanding of the situation I was in. I would get called nicknames like Obama from them. And then there were some non-black students who were also the same way. But then there were also that it was a large, it was a large uh, number of them who were just critical of every, every single thing you did. You can breathe wrong and they would have an opinion about how you need to breathe or how you need to act. So it was just like, it's like, damn if you do, damn if you don't. It was kind of hard to just... Please, everybody, everybody. Eventually, yeah. I just had to eventually, after about like a couple of weeks in office, I realized, you know what, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do this for two years, I'm going to have to just develop, a, a, you're going to have to listen to people, but you're going to have to be able to make your own calls and make your own decisions, and you're going to have to have confidence in it once you make the decision. That, and that's and you, can't be, yeah, you can't be seeking constant uh, appreciation for every single thing you do, because you'll get burnt out real quick trying to do that. And, and that you're very—that's very accurate. And I, I understand how you feel. And you know, did you ever think that you would get a second term? Was that like crazy to you? Did you kind of feel like Barack Obama? Because I know I called you Obama when I found out that you was running for president. I'm one of those people that's been calling you Obama because you know it's a lot of similarities, like I said, that I see personally. And you, as well as the greatest president to ever serve in the United States of America. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so, 
So do you were you excited to be elected? Are you excited to be in the same conversation with uh, some of your peers, your colleagues at Martin to be compared to, like I said, Barack Obama? Does that were you fearful of that, or you knew that you were gonna get it? Uh, it was kind of mixed uh, feelings. It's like on one hand, you really want to do something. Um, you really want to go out there and shoot for the stars. On the other hand, it's like once you get to that position, how how am I going to handle this kind of pressure? Mm-hmm. So I, it was always I just taught myself um, you got to be humble. That's the only way you're going to succeed in this position. You gotta you gotta be appreciative of what you uh, what you have done so far, but you can't be so arrogant and caught up in a moment that you're not really thinking about what you're doing. Um, and Make sure you're improving yourself because getting there, that's one thing, but maintaining it and trying to get another term in office, that's a, that's a whole other story. And, and that, that is definitely something to say. What would you, what would you say your, some of your greatest moments were as being an SGA president? Or what were some of your least favorite moments about being an SGA president? I would say uh, my favorite moment was when we got the MPAC Greek Garden uh, unveiled. Oh. Um, that was something that um, people at Martin had talked about years before I got there. Mm-hmm. But when I, I got there as a freshman, and I remember I joined BSA, and shout out to uh, Tyra Hawkins, who was, uh, she was the president of BSA, and I was vice president. And we had a meeting with the chancellor of the university, and we advocated with um, we advocated for those Greek plots, along with the Black Alumni Council and a few other people. And then I want to say 2018, I got elected that spring. And then that following fall, they did a groundbreaking for the Greek plots. And then my last year for homecoming, I got to see uh, the Greek plots be unveiled to all the chapters. And pretty much every chapter there, all nine, had a huge presence on campus. And I'm a member of the NPAC organization, Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So for being a, a black student and also being a member of a NPAC Greek organization, seeing that moment come where you had a, a standing plot dedicated to your chapter, like that was that was my proudest moment as being SJA president, knowing I had a role in getting that done along with some other people. Oh my God, that was like you said, groundbreaking, unbelievable. To do something like that is... It's other um, PWIs who aren't as privileged as Martin was to, like you said, get that thing started and up off the ground and built because it was a lot of talk before you got there, before I got there, before a lot of people got there. People wanted to see something that made that was familiar to them, something that they could relate to. And a lot of times in Martin, the black culture is a lot of times group driven. So. I think in a way it helped the university out because that's something that if I was an upcoming prospect of UT Martin, I would look at that. Especially knowing what I know now, I would definitely feel like to a point that the university cares about my place here on this campus or my future place here on this campus. So shout out to Tyra. I love Tyra. I would love for her to come back. She also came on the show the first season. She is a great person. I have nothing but great things to say about Tyra, a very sweet soul, and she's definitely a person of service, and I love that about her. So I just wanted to say that while we were talking about her. But speaking about a university that cares, so recently it was a video, a very disturbing video of a few students who were saying that they hate blacks and saying things such as nigger. Um, can you tell us your reaction when you first got wind of that video? Uh, when I first watched the video, I was just scrolling on Facebook, 
And when I seen the video, I had to do a double take. I had to make sure. I'm like, maybe I'm hearing something. <laughs> this is something. Maybe I'm seeing stuff. So I rewatched it, and then I started. Uh, some I started. I noticed some of those people in the video as UTM students. Mm-hmm. And I so I watched the video. I tried to hear what they were saying. Um, they did. They said the N word. They said they didn't like. They hated black people. They supported um, a, a guy named Abernathy who got. He lost his. Uh, he lost his license to sell Harley Davidson products. Honda products and Polaris products at his car dealership after he made some face a racist Facebook posts telling black people to go back to Africa in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. So I'm like, we really got people, UT Martin, who are going to say this kind of stuff? So like, I was not surprised, but I was I was kind of shocked, too, at the same time. It was like, it's, it's kind of a mixed feeling. It's like, I knew that those people existed at Martin, but I did not think that they would ever have the, the courage to get out there and make such a hateful video and publish it online. Yeah, and, and I agree. And, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, like you said, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked because I, too, have had my own differences, I would say, with the university, especially involving um, some type of behavior that was not acceptable on campus. However, I don't feel like the university may have uh, gave me the benefit of the doubt like they did for these students. So. If you do not know, UT Martin issued out a statement, basically to summarize, saying that although the words were harsh and disturbing, that the students are technically protected by um, the freedom of speech right. So when you hear things like that, when you heard that, what? how did you feel personally reading that? Oh, I was... Because you represent, you represent the, the school and, and the university in a great light. So for you, like you said, to be a SGA president two terms at a PWI, how did that make you feel? Did you agree with UT Martin's actions and their statements and what they did? And they also said that they would not disclose any information about the punishments of the students and they and they left, really kind of left us on the hang wire. So how, how, was, how did you feel about that? What, what, are your, what are your views on that? When I first seen um, the university's uh, response, and I, that was the, I believe it was the second response that the university issued, because um, the first one was, uh, uh, second or third, because the first one was the chancellor uh, condemning what they said. Second was him with the Black Alumni Council down in Memphis, um, and they all addressed it. And then the third one was released by Student Affairs, mm-hmm. um, and that's where they mentioned the First Amendment. And when I first seen it, I was so offended by them using that First Amendment issue because First Amendment right issue because I'm like, you see, we can go through UT Martin's past, and I'll mention two incidents here. Um, first, I'll mention the incident of the student programming boards, SAC, MAC, that allow students to do the events they wanted to do. The mm-hmm. board of trustees stripped that away back in 2018, so now students have very limited uh, role in how events. Are playing on campus, and that was because of the sex week that was done at UT Knoxville. So I'm like, where was the First Amendment right then? Mm-hmm. Second, we had a professor get uh, suspended, temporarily suspended, over a letter he wrote when UT Martin SGA was trying to do a concealed carry initiative. Uh, he wrote that letter for his class. He got put on temporary suspension, and it wasn't until the district attorney's office said that he was cleared of wrongdoing, and that was it was it was his the First Amendment that they said we're going to give. Uh, we're, that they're going to give him a pass and they're going to reinstate him. And I believe that same professor ended up quitting later on. 
um, probably because he felt his academic freedom was uh, infringed upon by being suspended for writing that letter. I'm like, if we're going to use the First Amendment, we got to be consistent with it. It go. can't just be when somebody conservative says something racist that we're going to say, all right, it's that First Amendment right. When you have more progressive views out there, or you have views you disagree with, the First Amendment has to apply around the board because that's the message they're trying to get out there. But I feel like as a minority student, um, as a minority student and as like a more progressive person on campus, when they express their viewpoints or they try to have something like a sex week, you're always met with opposition. But when these racist people get out there and say the N-word, X, Y, Z, we're expected to be forgiven of them. We're expected to have a kumbaya moment and all come together as one. And that can't happen when we're allowing hate speech to go on. Because there is a difference between freedom of speech and pure hate. There you go. And it doesn't take the Supreme Court to say that. Exactly. Um, and I would expect any statement by the university to reflect that kind of notion. Because you can't say you support black students, but then when you have racist students come out there, you issue a statement saying freedom of speech. So I, I did not like that statement at all. I actually took UT Martin out of my Twitter bio. Um, I would have done Instagram and, uh, and Facebook, but I have so many photos of me uh, as a, over the years of UT Martin. I had to delete off my whole page, honestly, to <laughs> move them out of there. Uh, but I had some conversations with some administrators there. Um, the chancellor of the university and I made a video later on that day trying to um, explain my position on it because it did get kind of heated on one of the Facebook posts I made with some alumni of the, and, and people in the Martin area who felt that I shouldn't have made that post that oh you're a leader people look up to you people listen to you you shouldn't be making these critical posts at the university and I see it as the exact opposite um if you are a person that has been blessed with a leadership position, you need to use your platform to uplift the voices of other people who are not being heard. You shouldn't say, oh, since I have it, I had it good while I was at Martin, or I had this position or something like that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't just be quiet because that's something like that. That doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. That just means that me having this title means that y'all did not, y'all didn't have the courage to come up to me and say it. Correct. Because I knew something was going to be done about it. But you'll go say it to a random person, a random black student um, there at the university because you knew that they didn't have the platform that I had. If somebody called me the N-word to my face, I would have been on Facebook Live that same day. Correct. Call them out by name, and they didn't want that. But somebody else, they knew that person may have not been able to have the resources that I had to get something done about it. I totally agree with you, and I, I've been underneath your post. I've actually, you know, tried to shed some light on the situation from someone else who, at a point in time, had a lot of influence on the modern culture. So I feel obligated to do that, and any black student or any student of color at the university should feel the exact same way. Because like you said, you're oppressing the people who aren't being heard. If we're telling you we have an uproar um, about these things and how we feel about it, the university should have done a better job at making sure that, I'm not going to say that we were satisfied, but I feel like the situation could have been handled better. And... When the university did not do that, it did cause, like, leaders such as yourself, which I think it was honorable of you to do that with your past. I, I, of course, I knew you were going to do it because I know the type of person that you are, and I know how you are very visual about speaking out about the wrongdoings that just go on in America. Hence, I saw you were out there protesting in Nashville for the Black Lives Matter movement. 
So I know that you are very visual. You're one of those leader, leaders that are not going to just talk about change. You're also going to effectively be about change and find solutions so that we can progress and move forward as not only as a people, but as a school and ultimately as a country. So I did want to applaud you on that. And we also saw the uh, BSA students response to the email that was sent out to the students. And one of those things where they're going to have a peaceful protest, I, I believe, on Friday, correct? Uh, yes, uh, Friday, uh, the board of administration of the university, actually. Friday for University Center, Martin C. If you are out there, please, please go out. If you can go back, alumni, if you can go out and you can support that movement so that the university knows that we, this will not be acceptable. We would really like to see that. And a few of those demands were that um, UT Martin students and the racist video be held accountable for their actions. Um, two, require all students to take an African-American history class. And I also saw something about building an African-American institute. So were you, did you have any hands-on in that BSA releasing that statement or coming up with those demands? Did you play any role in that? Um, not for the BSA um, perspective, but I am inside of a group of students, faculty, uh, staff, and alum um, who we've been trying to get a required um, African American history class for all UCM students. So I'm on the steering committee for that, and we are working with BSA for this uh, protest, um, along with BSA and some other uh, student uh, groups, just uh, the University. So we're trying to help them out, but I want, I want. Um, I personally want the students to be the people, main people that are heard because they are the people paying these tuition numbers that keeps light on at that school. So I want them to know they have a voice just like I had a voice when I went there and like you had a voice when you went there. So I want the students to be in the front of this. But I want them to know also that you have alumni behind you who are going to back you up in the ways that we can uh, to make sure that you guys are being treated fairly while you guys are at this institution. When they graduate, so I just want to make sure we're looking out for each other for the cycle of people. So I'm going to tell somebody to go to UT Martin and say it's a great school. I got to make sure that it's a great school. Mm -hmm. I can't just say go to this school and not be proactive in fighting uh, against racism because it is a PWI. And unlike an HBCU, as a black person at a PWI, you're probably going to face some microaggressions. Um, you might face some outright uh, racism. You might hear the N-word thrown your way. Because you have hateful people that will go to um, find comfort in going to PWIs because the majority of white people opposed to PWIs. I mean, opposed to HBCU, whereas uh, a black grad institution, you probably wouldn't deal with something like that there. Exactly. I know I have a best friend who graduated grad school from uh, TSU, which is an HBCU, one of, uh, one of the more notorious ones. And when she uh, got her master's at U of M, and she was just like, Hood. It's a culture shock. You know, she went from one type of environment with majority of people kind of like how we are, how we were in Martin, and then she, it, it, her whole world flipped. She had never seen so many people. I mean, of course, we went to a mixed uh, high school, but as far as in her uh, adult years, she, she wasn't able to have that. And she kind of also kind of felt, um, I would say, less connected. I wouldn't even go to say she was less connected to the school because it did not offer a piece where they did kind of make them feel like they were cared for or like they would go out their way to make sure they had all the options and extra tools that they needed. 
So it's definitely a different culture shock to, uh, you know, like when I got to Martin, I was like, wow, I am most definitely in the country. Which was okay, because I grew up in the country, but I, I too have, like I said, dealt with um, mishaps at the university that I was not pleased with. Uh, I've also gone on live on Facebook and done all those things. And I think it's more important that we get more people to sign their petition that all students should be required for African-American uh, history. They should learn. I feel like that's something that will benefit the university as well as even if people, the hateful people that don't want to understand, that don't want to acknowledge that it is wrong, that don't want to change, I feel like it still should be a opportunity for them to expand in the least bit. Because a, a lot of times people feel like, well, why don't we educate people? And a lot of times, some, most people just don't want to be educated. And I think with this big movement, with the Black Lives Matter movement again after the killers of George Floyd, and we still demand justice for Breonna Taylor. You know, after all of these instances, Amar Aubrey, after all these instances have occurred, you know, I think more and more people are saying, you know, what is not right. But what would you say to people um, who say that we shouldn't focus on Black Lives Matter when we have black on black crime? What would you say about that? Responses to it is first, that is a deflection from the argument of police brutality. Um, and second, just to briefly address this notion of black on black crime, if you look at any community in the United States, the vast majority of crimes committed against people in that group are of the same race. If you go to a Asian community, they're around each other more. They're, you're going to have domestic violence cases higher between, uh, between Asians. You're going to have um, assault cases. No matter what racial group you look at, they are. They live among each other. They are around each other. They have family members. They're gonna. They're gonna commit crimes against each other. Unfortunately, okay. and the black community is not immune to it. So to throw out black on black crime, we're talking about police brutality. That's a red herring. That's not a. That it's like it's not a. It is not make police brutality less less valid. Same as mentioning, oh, there are more white people that get killed by cops than black people. If anything, that should be that, that should make people go out there and pull, uh, that should make white people just outrageous white people are. Because when it's police brutality, you have a person who's paid by taxpayer dollars, who's given a badge to protect and serve, they get all type of privileges to be a police officer. And I understand it may be a difficult job at times, but it's a job that they sign up for and the public has trust in them to do their jobs fairly. But historically, since it's the exception of the police department, you can look at issues like over-policing. You can look at issues like uh, just the, the, the bogus reasons that people get pulled over for traffic stops. And then you can finally get the, the bigger picture of why there's why uh, black people are in jail at, at higher percentages than uh, a, dis uh, dis a disproportionate rates than white people are. It's a system is set up. It's, it's not set up with black people to have equality in it at all. It's the only people who really get a fair shake inside of the modern criminal criminal uh, justice system right now is wealthy people. Yeah. They have versus they have nots. So unless you have money for a good lawyer, I um, mean, you have connections, you're gonna probably gonna take a plea deal. You're gonna be in, unless you got bail money, you're gonna be in jail until you can get out of jail, out of jail until your case is over with. So it's a it's a have versus have not systems. 
And unfortunately, most black people in this country, because of systemic racism, because of slavery, even though people don't talk about it, because of slavery, because of systemic racism, most black people do not are not in a position to receive a fair shake inside of this criminal justice system. So it needs to be reformed. And when I, that's why I'm that's why I've went to so many uh, protests this summer. At least I've probably been to twenty different Black Lives Matter um, protests this summer. And all of this because like we need to we gotta spread the word. We have to we gotta keep talking about it because it's not gonna go away. I remember two thousand twelve was the first trial I ever watched, and that was Trayvon Martin. I was like in eighth grade when I was seeing that. I seen a person get off by uh, uh, killing an uh, unarmed black uh, kid in this neighborhood that was walking home for a pack of Skittles in the Arizona tea. And I'm like, that could easily be me. Easy. I walk to the store all the time. I remember hearing the President Obama come out and say, that could have been him. So seeing that and watching it, that was the first trial I ever watched. I'm like, seeing injustice is the first trial? Like, what hope does that leave a young black person to have inside of the criminal justice system? Along with seeing your friends go to jail as you get a little bit like, older on, seeing family members go to jail. And you see white people go to jail for the same reasons, get lesser jail sentences and no jail time at all. So the criminal justice system is a huge issue. And it is insensitive and oftentimes it is a racist talking point to try to uh, deflect the black on black crime. We're talking about police brutality. Because if they really cared about black on black crime, as they uh, claim to, I mentioned uh, the argument, they would go help out inside of some of these inner cities and donate to some of these programs and volunteer their services. Because there are community groups in Nashville, Memphis, wherever city you go to, there are people who are trying to uh, who are trying to reverse that trend of black people, I mean, of black youth uh, committing crimes. And they want to tell them there's opportunities out there to succeed. They want to see more black lawyers, more black doctors, more black business people, uh, more black business owners. So they want to help out and they want to see this uh, notion of black-on-black crime in, there are ways for them to do so. But trying to dismiss us saying that we're being killed by police officers is not going to solve any either, either of the two issues. Very well said. Very well said. You said that. That was well said. And I agree with you uh, completely. It's two separate issues that should be treated as such. And also, even when we think about the term black-on-black crime, like you said, in any neighborhood, and even when we get into neighborhood, anything that you break down in the American system, because when you get into neighborhoods, you get into low-income neighborhoods, you get into normally poverty-stricken neighborhoods, who are going to be who? The people who are being oppressed in this country. And unfortunately, I can't, I can't change the face of time. So for years and years, it has been um blacks and latinos and people who are not necessarily of white descent so i'm very optimistic however about the future because i feel like we do have people who are willing to go out there to those marches go out there to share those petitions go out there to go live and make a stance about what they ultimately know is right and wrong and that it is and make no mistake even when it comes down to that video that the students made in UT Martin, we have to go down to morally. Is it morally right for someone who represents a university? Because that had that been a job and that video had went viral, it's no second guessing that a, a company would have cut ties with a person. And so I feel like in universities by being a um public school and by being um something that taxpayers pay for i feel like 
that should have been the same response. And I know that is something that you are rooting for as well as other students, minorities, they need to learn. So, like you said, when you went live in your um, video, you said that you are optimistic about the future of UT Martin. As well as you said that you would even recommend your kids to go there. So, if this university was to change, if the university actually stood on and, and, and are consistent in all their claims in every situation, do you still feel like you would send your kids to this school or tell other, other students of color to go to this school? Because, like you said, you have been talking to other administrators, and I know you guys have a close relationship. So, what, what would you tell the future students or... Anyone is listening to this broadcast. What would your ultimate message be from Devin Mays? A piece of advice that I've always followed is do not tell somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So, if you just say, if in the future, um, that if UT Martin responds promptly and appropriately when they have racist incidents pop up. And they're not just reactive, they're proactive in the fight against racism. Because racism don't take a day off. Racism is a 24-7 thing. These people don't take lunch breaks, they don't get holidays. Racists are constantly at work. So we have to be constantly at work in the fight against racism. So if UC Martin is not willing to take that uh, take that stance, I cannot recommend anybody to go there. Right. Especially a person of color. But if UT Martin starts to do more things to help diversity and inclusion on the campus, make black students feel welcome, have more black people in the positions of power, um, not just symbolic changes, but some actual systemic changes, changes the code of conduct around so you don't have so many loopholes for people who say these hateful things to be able to get off of it. You cite, and you cite First Amendment, whatever you want to cite for it. When UT Martin makes some major changes, and I believe those changes are going to be coming soon, because with the outrage that are coming their way, UC Martin has no chance, no choice but to make a, a strong stance unless it wants to run the risk of losing the black students, and not just black students there, because there are white students there who, are not, who do not want to go to an institution that has racist students going there. I would not, if I was, I would not want to go to UC Martin if there was a racist student um, that goes there. And I, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not done with school, so. I'll be at UC Knoxville this fall at the College of Law, and I've heard good things about it. But for me, I'll, I would have to second guess am I going to continue my education at this school? And let's say if I'm, I'm at the school and somebody in my law pro- program comes out and says the stuff that those people in that video said, I'm like, all right, do I want to stay here and continue to spend my money here um, to get education? Or do I want to go somewhere else where it's not tolerated? So for me, to answer your question, if UC Martin is going to make a commitment to fighting racism and it's visible and everybody can see it, and they're empowering people of color to have positions and to feel welcome on campus, then I will have no problem with recommending people go to UT Martin. But if they're going to issue statements like the one that was issued last week that got so much outrage, there's no way I can recommend anybody to go there. I know that's right. Well, Devin, you have had an, an amazing interview. I mean, I am so glad that you decided to come back on the show. We wish you the best in the future. And we are so honored to have you back, and we'll be ready for you to run for presidency. When will you be eligible? About like 2030? 2030? You're going to try to replace your uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, I think the most I would take is if they, if they, if somebody wanted me to be a judge and I got appointed elected or something, I would, 
I'd rather stay in the league because of some politics right now. Maybe things get better. <laughs> but right now in this Trump era, I, you, you will not see me in any kind of elective uh, office right now. All righty. Well, if you don't have anything else to say, Devin, we thank you again for being on the show. And thank you for being a positive change for not only UT Martin, but for the world. And actually not being one of the sayers, but also being a doer. So we thank you. We wish you the best. And you have a great night, okay? All right, Sammy, you thank you for having me on your show and also giving people a platform. Um, to spread uh, knowledge and just spread efforts that we're doing because you never know who will be inspired by hearing the interview. Whether that's from my interview or anyone else that you have on your show, you need to have platforms for black voices to uh, spread positivity and spread what we're trying to do out there. So thank you for allowing me to be on your show because that's a blessing in itself. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I do what I can for my people. For my people is who I'm working for and I do what I can for my people. Well, but thank you again so much, David, and you have a great night, okay? All right, same to you.